This is the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Tom Church, and I'm joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein. Richard is the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow here at the Hoover Institution. He's the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU and is a senior lecturer at the University of Chicago. And Richard, some big news yesterday as the January 6th committee voted unanimously to subpoena former President Trump. Uh, on the same day that this happened, before this vote, it played a clip by Steve Bannon from a week before the election, where he stated Trump was going to declare victory no matter what on election night. And it published uh, some text messages made several days before the event from one of the January 6th rally organizers to My Pillow's Mike Lindell that claimed President Trump was going to unexpectedly send the crowd to the Capitol. Now, this subpoena of a former president is, I think, big news. I want to know, how does this fit into a possible larger criminal prosecution? Is Attorney General Merrick Garland happy about this subpoena being issued by the January 6th commission? Well, I mean, we have no idea how the answer to that question, but let's just start with the first question. Is there any collaboration whatsoever between what's going on with the J6 committee on the one hand and the Department of Justice on the other? Uh, the way in which it appears publicly is that they're two independent bodies pursuing two independent paths. And it looks as though when the J6 committee sends out subpoenas, they're worried about criminal investigation of the events surrounding that date in the election. Whereas the Justice Department is in fighting the Mar de Lago paper uh, ref refusal to turn them over, which is a completely different incident with completely different stuff. And so I, I think there's a two front war that Trump is trying to fight. The question is whether or not the Democrats on the other side, and they're all Democrats, are people who are working in unison with respect to the two cases or whether they're not. My own guess is that they are probably not working together. Uh, there's no need for particular cooperation. Each of these two bodies has sufficient amount of resources and information and personnel to handle their own claim. And I think there's a certain danger in public perception if it is perceived that two independent branches of government are getting together and ganging up on a former president in an effort to disgrace him and to make sure that he will never run for public office again. So I kind of doubt that there is this thing starting to go on. But there are many things that you could do to collaborate without collaboration. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's certainly everybody in the Justice Department will follow what's going on in the J6 hearing, and everybody in the J6 hearings will understand what's going on at mar de lago And that sort of leads you to get some overall sense as to how strong Trump is faring. And if you think, in fact, that his popularity is increasing and that an indictment would be counterproductive, you're not going to make it. But if you take the opposite kind of position, you will. So I have no doubt when making their own calculations about whether or not to subpoena Trump, uh, the J6 committee was well aware of what uh, the Mar-a-Lago investigation was pointing up. And I think they decided that they would pounce on this kind of weakness to see if they could force the issue. I mean, from the beginning, I have always said that this committee uh, was a body which was looking ultimately to indict the president of the United States, even though that was no part of their formal charter. Or what they would do is they would gather more and more information, and then it would become perfectly clear that they would be, to use their favorite word, obliged to turn this stuff over to the Justice Department, which in turn would be obliged to run the prosecution because of the enormity of everything that happened to have gone wrong. So I, I think there's an antitrust term about this called, called tacit collusion, uh, which is sort of unavoidable under these circumstances. So that's the way I think this thing is playing out at that particular level. 
Um, do I think that the prosecution will take place? You know, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, that's a decision that the J6 committee cannot make. It's going to have to be made by the attorney general and his staff. What makes that so complicated is nobody knows whether Garland is in charge of everything that goes on in his particular department. He has some strong-willed executives around him, and he projects an image of public weakness every time he takes to the podium. So is he doing this? Are other people guiding him? Is the guidance just one of mutual respect and reinforcement? Or is he being pushed around a little bit? It's hard to say from the outside, but there's nothing about the public appearance which rules out the possible account of what's going on that Garland may not even be master of his own shop. So, Richard, former President Trump has a couple options here uh, with respect to the subpoena, and I'd like you to take us through them. I mean, it's respond, ignore, contest, wait. What, what's, his, what's his play? What do you think he'll actually do? And then what, what are his other options? Well, nobody knows what this man will do because he's a man unto himself. But you said the first thing is respond, right? Well, uh, what does that mean? It can mean one of two things. He'll get there and he'll say, I refuse to do this, or I'll get there and says, I'm happy to come. Well, those are the two opposites. But my guess is it will be neither of those two. It'd be something more complicated in between. I'm going to come there and testify if the following kinds of conditions are satisfied, and they'll go back and forth. So, for example, one of the things that I would insist upon if I were Donald Trump is that I have the power and the right to make an independent statement uninterrupted by people of the committee, either before, during, or sometime in the middle or after the actual investigation starts to take place. I think it would be a terrible mistake for him to come there and never given a chance to tell his own story. This is not a case, in which I think he would rightly say, in which I could depend upon any many of this so-called impartial committee um, to defend me. It has two Republicans on it, both of virulent anti-Trump kinds of people. So it's going to be a barrage all on one side. It's very different testifying before this kind of committee, which you know is a hanging committee, as opposed to talking one which had two true bipartisan situations where the Republicans would be doubtful, hesitant, or even hostile to the indictment to question. So even sort of starting to say that the, the response is responses a prolonged negotiation. What makes that even more complicated is the time framework, right? We're in the middle of October. It takes time to arrange for these things. Uh, the committee charter ends on January 3rd unless it's renewed. I think everybody believes that there will be some kind of Republican majority in the House of Representatives which will not renew this sort of thing. And so can they get this all done? Uh, and if so, are they going to get it done after the election when it's perfectly clear that they won't stay in power? There's no way they're going to be able to get these hearings in place before the particular election. So there's just a lot of uncertainties associated by, by about that kind of issue. Now, I guess the second alternative you meant is just sort of ignore them, right? Is that what you said? Right. Well, and the question there is what happens? You have to remind me, what happens if someone ignores a subpoena from, from a congressional committee? Ah, do this. We do. We, what happens is they can't enforce this uh, subpoena on their own right. At least the general view is that capital police can't arrest somebody. Uh, the standard practice is you have to go to court and prove cause that this particular subpoena is warranted under the circumstances. And I mean, you know, uh, the committee has certainly issued other subpoenas. They've been issued um, they've been accepted so i think the the kind of thing that they're going to argue oh I, I don't have to answer this subcommittee uh because it's completely illegitimate uh that argument is sort of uh not with you 
But, I mean, is there arguments about relevance, arguments about prejudice in the way in which this thing are going to be argued, uh, handled? I assume he could raise those things. My own view, as I, not, I'm not a full-time criminal lawyer by any means, particularly at this level of detail, is that he will not be able to simply go to court and persuade people that no subpoena is going to be issued. There were already several other cases in which subpoenas are out against him at state court level and in federal proceedings and so forth. And since this is a subpoena to testify, um, I not a subpoena to try to get him into jail or anything of that sort, I think he's going to be hard pressed to win on that argument. His argument may be, I don't care whether I win. I care about the fact that I succeed secure some delay. And I also want to treat this as a place to grandstand and to make sure that the unselect committee, as he likes to call it, is basically a body which is not representative of everybody and should be treated essentially as a renegade body in its own place, to which he will then say, uh, they don't have any serious Republicans on this committee. Liz Cheney, come on. She's a Democrat. That's what she told us when she ran in Wisconsin, in, in Wyoming for a review. So it's it's he can do that and he may get some some mileage out of the situation. Now, what was your third alternative again, just to remind us all, me included? Well, I suppose it was weighted out, which we've covered. I do want to do want to uh, get back to to respond. You said there's you know there's two options. One, he can show up and say you know like let's go let's let's do this. Let's 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 have a big audience and, and go through it. Or he could plead the fifth. But I, my question actually, it's a small one. If he pleads the fifth, does he have to answer some questions if they're not relevant? I mean, does he, can he, can he respond, say, I plead the fifth and not do anything? Uh, you can plead the fifth to anything. Okay. Um, if what you say is, you know, this will tend to prejudice me and, you know, uh, can you plead? I don't want to mention my name. I don't think you're going to get people going to that particular level, but the moment it starts to turn substantive, uh, the issue that you're always worried about if you're a defense person is whether or not if you waive it with respect to one question, you're waiving it with respect to all questions. And so selective eight waivers are extremely difficult to start the deal with. So there's a tendency to go all in on the waiver and say, you're not going to get anything from me. Now, I don't think that's in Trump's personality. I gather, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that what John Eastman did when he was asked to testify before that committee? I believe so, yes. And, and I think the reason he did that is, you know, he is not a um, political actor. And, and so for him- He, he hasn't take, had his own reality show, right? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't had his own reality show. He's not thinking about running for public office. He doesn't have any of these image kinds of problems. But Trump, uh, one of the things that we don't know is whether he wants to run for president again, and if so, whether he thinks this kind of hearing will help him or not help him. And my guess is what it will do is both. Um, for those people who like Trump and don't like the committee, if they're now trying to subpoena him, that will make them more pro-Trump and more anti-Democrat. But for those people who kind of like the Democrats and think that Trump has sort of lost his mind to some extent, uh, his refusal to answer any question will be treated as evidence that he's not set to stand for public office. My own view, again, and it's all speculative, is I think it's more likely than not that he is not street again, not going to run as president of the United States. I think deep down he understands that he has lost some of whatever it was that he had in 2020, in 2016 when he ran the first time. I mean, you know, he's a different man today. The number of people who come up to me and just simply say, I think Trump has lost his mind is very high. And this is not just anti-Trumpers. These are people who said I would vote for Trump in 2016, uh, but I don't want him to run for president in 2024. And I would do anything I can to stop it, including um, perhaps quite eagerly uh, support somebody like Ron DeSantis for president. My own position about Trump 
is I do not think he should run again for president of the United States. I think it would be a complete and total disaster. I don't think he's competent to be able to handle the position. And he'd be going into office at much too old an age and would have much too little sense about the way in which to handle it. I think being out of office has made him into something of a loose cannon. And I'm not sure that he could be domesticated to the role when he went back in again. So if I thought I would get Trump 2016 as against Biden 2020, I'd take Trump in a nanosecond. Uh, but I don't think you're getting the 2016 model in 2024. I think you're getting the 2024 model. And I don't think Biden is going to run again because the Democrats realize that he simply cannot handle the position and the job. So if you're thinking in this particular way, you first have to guess whether you think Trump is running again. Um, I think it's not. Then you have to guess whether he not to plead the Fifth Amendment or whether he wants to take this as an opportunity to go after everybody. He goes after everybody. He runs the risk of making a complete fool of himself because he just can't restrain himself from saying things that are obviously false. But on the other hand, he could win this tremendous sympathy vote, uh, which would make it more costly for the Democrats to try to indict him. I mean, one question you have to ask is, would they actually try to indict him before November 8th in the election? I kind of think that that sort of last minute would be treated as gross opportunism. And I don't know whether they're going to do it. My view is about this Trump is I want him to be neutralized. I don't want him to be indicted. I think it's just simply too divisive for the nation to bear. And the politicizations of the committee and of the Democratic Party make this very unpalatable. And as another element, which I think is consistent with this, is there's another president candidate named Joe Biden, who did all sorts of questionable things when he was out of office, probably is doing some questionable things now that he's in office, who has a really derelict son named Hunter. And the Democrats are just sitting, locking that thing up, and there'll be no indictment at all. And so the question then becomes, uh, can you run an indictment, even if you think the case against the sitting president is, or the former president is credible, if you're not going to go after the present president? That is, people have a very strong sense that they may not know what's right and wrong, but they don't want you to treat your friends systematically better than you treat your enemies. And that's going to be the charge that's going to come against the Democrats if they try to run a Trump indictment while continuing to bury everything uh, that is associated with Biden and his rather questionable activities that took place between 2016 and 2020 when he won the election or beforehand. So it's all fraught with difficulties. My view is if I were the committee, you could see why it is that they want to, to, to subpoena him. They regard it as a, a no-lose proposition. No matter which of the alternative he takes, take the fifth, don't testify, do testify subject to condition. They think that he's likely to make some kind of a blunder and that he's going to be more difficult for him to repair and to make believe that he's a credible candidate if he wants to run for re-election. Now, that may, in fact, be ironic. It may well be the best thing the Democrats can do is to have Trump for run for re-election and then turn out to actually win the presidency again. Whereas, again, you know, I'm no political analyst, but if I had to bet, I would assume that the Democratic candidate is going to be somebody like Gavin Newsom, may the Lord protect us, and that the Republican candidate will be Ron DeSantis, who's a pretty strong guy. I think in that head-to-head -head contest, age is no longer an issue. Uh, but what is decisive, I think, for saying that DeSantis will win that is this little observation. Is there's nobody I know in Florida who's aching to move to California. Uh, there are busloads of people from California who are aching to move to Florida. And if 
uh, people run, if DeSantis runs on the following kind of platform, uh, do you want the United States to look like Florida? Do you want the United States to look like California? He'll win because there are very few people who want this nation to look the way California has behaved in the last several years. I think that all fits into this overall equation. Uh, my guess is that they probably will ask him they have subpoenaed him. I think he will answer the subpoena. I think he will agree to testify. And then it's a roadshow. Uh, to me, it's an unimportant roadshow in the following sense. I do not believe with all the substantive issues that have arisen since the J6 event that we should concentrate on that when trying to figure out what our national policy is and who ought to be our next particular president. Uh, there are places that I've never heard of called Ukraine, the Middle East, China, the European alliance, all of which have to be tended to. There are domestic issues having to do with inflation and the operations of the Fed, the antitrust laws, the environmental protection stuff, woke education, criminal law, immigration, the list just goes on. The thing I care least about is Donald Trump. I would like to hear what candidates have to say about another. So I think the Democrats may decide they want to indict because the diversion from the current reality probably works, I think, to their net advantage. You've been listening to the Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Make sure to read Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, published on Defining Ideas at Hoover.org. If you found this conversation thought-provoking, please share it with your friends and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. For Richard Epstein, I'm Tom Church. Talk to you next time. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcast or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.